This is a Rooster Teeth production. Imagine opening an ancient sarcophagus and coming face to face with the screaming dead. Did these nameless Egyptian mummies die like that? Or were they cursed by the gods to screech into an internal void? Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Let's go back to the early 1870s in Luxor, Egypt, where Ahmed Abd al-Rasul was searching for a lost goat. Luxor was once the bustling metropolis of ancient Egypt, formerly the city of Thebes. Ahmed and his family were living there as merchants and street vendors. Ahmed could hear his goat bleeding in the distance, but it was like far away and muffled. So he followed the noise and it was brought to an opening in the hillside, a hidden entrance to a cave. Ahmed immediately recognized that he had stumbled upon something important, a gigantic tomb. And not just any tomb, okay? We're talking like Geraldo Rivera opening Al Capone's (laughs) safe, okay? (laughs) This was special. This was Dair el-Bahari, a necropolis, a complex network of mortuary temples and tombs located on the west bank of the Nile opposite the city of Luxor, Egypt. Abandoning the reason he was out there in the first place, remember the goat, Ahmed got on his hands and knees and he crawled in. And the place was a gold mine, literally. Mummified corpses lined the walls and valuable antiques and treasures covered the floors. Ahmed noticed this was not like other tombs that people had found around Deir el-Bahari. Yes, this particular area of Luxor was in severe economic depression. Ahmed and his family struggled to sell trinkets and souvenirs at the markets. It really wasn't uncommon for residents of the area to be searching tombs to raid and then resell what they found inside. Ahmed saw that the the sarcophagi and the cavern was intricately detailed. He clocked priceless treasures like the traditional cobra headdress placed on a coffin, and this was the tomb of an Egyptian royal jackpot. Cha-ching. The story goes that Ahmed, knowing he needed to protect his findings, simply left the goat in the tomb to die. He figured the stench of the animal would deter other tomb raiders from going into his newfound treasure chest. It's a sound plan. It very you know, sound feel good. bad for the goat, but the goat. As early as 1874, canopic jars and funerary papyri started to show up at the nearby markets in Luxor. Canopic jars hold mummified organs and funerary papyri um, are potent magical images that allow the dead to be reborn in the afterlife. So there's something fishing going on here because other unusual and highly notable antiques were being openly sold at market, such as the Book of the Dead of Pinagem II, which like I feel like was pretty bold because, mm. you know, there's not that many. There's one of a kind, right? Um, it's pretty. Uh, yes. Yeah. It was purchased in 1876 for 400 pounds, this, this priceless artifact. Yeah, and it did not take long for uh, authorities to catch on that this wave of treasures was coming from a newly unearthed royal tomb. So an investigation was launched, and surprise, surprise, it traced back to Ahmed and his family. He and his brother Muhammad were tortured in order to find out where the tombs were located. Ahmed surrendered first and quickly. He knew that the only way to save himself was to give the European authorities the location. Yes, and this was at the turn of the 19th century where the French had attempted to colonize Egypt. And like the other European colonial powers, they were still trying to get their fingers in the pie alongside the English. 
Foreign Egyptologist traveled to the mortuary city and with a rope and a prayer descended into the cavern. Within 24 hours, they had stripped the tombs of most of the artifacts within. Over 40 mummies were recorded and gosh, colonialism at its finest. As Mm. they pulled them out, they were dragging them out. removal and then they would just left so many of the mummies out exposed to the sun mummies that had not seen you know fresh air or the elements for thousands of years it makes me i feel like it's i know this was a while ago but i feel like my first instinct is to not do that and to be like oh god this is something very old very ancient let's not just drag them out and leave them in the sun i don't handle it with care yeah exactly (laughs) something happened though that kind of gave them like a little bit of a uh, retribution, right, Jess? Legend has it one of the pharaoh mummies raised an arm to the sun, scaring the crap out of one of the excavators. Some would even go back into the tomb after that. Really, though, the skin had contracted because of the heat making the mummy raise its arm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what <laughs> happened. But I like to think that the mummy was just mad and he was like, yeah, get out of exactly. here. Yeah. Throw or yourself just shielding, into the sun. <laughs> yeah. Or shielding like his eyes from the sun. Oh, it's yeah. been thousands <laughs> of years. <laughs> That was a really bad accent. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, When the mummies arrived in Cairo, they were in less than perfect condition. Some of their wrappings had been ripped open by tomb raiders who were looking for amulets. Some coffins were missing their their feet. And some mummies were in the wrong coffins because they just kind of like jumbled them all together. Yeah. But as researchers inspected the coffins, they would experience something even more terrifying than the sun-saluting mummy as they opened a dusty odd-shaped Coffin. As they opened a dusty, odd shaped coffin, they found themselves face to face with a screaming mummy. Yes. So imagine a mummy that is just frozen in what looks like an expression of terror, mouth wide agape, jaw kind of slacked, and then the eyes blotted out with dirt and dust. So in the state of surprise, as if they died that way. And that is not the only mummy of its kind that's been found. Yes. The Screaming Mummy is a moniker that paints quite a picture. And if you Google Screaming Mummy, you will find lots of photos of mummies with these twisted expressions, their mouths agape. Pretty ghastly, ghastly imagery. Wow, ghastly. Ghastly. (laughs) Yeah. It makes you wonder what happened to the people who were mummified. Like that that their last visage is that of a tortured soul silently howling into the void. Awful. Oh, sounds beautiful. I can only <laughs> hope the same for myself. <laughs> yeah. You sicko. Yeah. And the crazy part is like the screaming mummy that you'll hear about online. There's two of them, two that have gotten this name. And creepily enough, they both were found in the necropolis of Deir el-Bihari, the city of the dead. 3,000 years ago, the city of Thebes was the capital of Egypt, home of pharaohs and queens. But as time went on, it also became their burial site. Yes, this place features some of the most important archaeological sites in Egypt. The Valley of the Kings, the Valley of the Queens, the Temple of Ramses II and Three are all located within a 36-mile area. It had a reputation, to say the least. Locals knew exactly the kinds of treasures that the Valley of the Sun held. The large pyramids acted as beacons for looters. By the end of the Ramesside period, tomb robbing had gotten out of control. Yes, the tomb found by Ahmed is believed to have been the original resting place of the high priest of Amun, Pininjim II, and his family members. 
Pinagem too died around 969 BCE, right as the Egyptian kingdom started to decline. There was some concern at the time that the decline of these dynasties and practices would welcome desecration and robbery to the royal tombs, and rightfully so. The tombs of the pharaohs were filled with not only bodies of the dead, but jewels and, and scrolls, paintings, and other very valuable items. Yeah, and I always think about this, and what's interesting to what you said about these pyramids being beacons for looters, Jess, is that Yes, it was a really strange way to draw so much attention to where all this treasure is held, but then conversely create these pyramids in such a way that they had all these booby traps and mazes and stuff inside to then counter that. It's almost like, why do it in the first place if you just have to do all that? And it makes sense that once people stop caring about protecting these sites, that then there's this concern of like, well, we've been doing this forever and now they're going to be a liability. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, these tombs were still targeted, but there was still a, a cultural barrier here because there were serious con- consequences for disturbing a pharaoh's tomb. And it is known as the pharaoh's curse or the mummy's curse. I mean, yeah, I've watched I don't know how many documentaries on ancient Egypt. One, because like Devin is obsessed. My partner mm-hmm. is, is obsessed with ancient Egypt, but also... They're just fascinating. And I have learned, like, if I went back in time or anything, I would never mess with the ancient Egyptians. They mean business. I also really love that the Egyptians were like, okay, well, we're going to have all these traps and stuff. But you know what? Let's tell a few, like, let's make up this whole (laughs) kind of uh, stigma around it. Sure. Because that might deter people more than if we even put any kind of security. Like, if we tell them, oh, you're going to be cursed in the afterlife, that might be a bigger deterrent. Than them getting their hand cut Absolutely. Off. But also, I mean, did they really believe that as well? Many tombs were inscribed with warnings telling thieves that if they disturbed the afterlife of the royals, they would suffer. Yeah. And here's an example of one that goes particularly hard. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, tomb of the royal Kantika Ikeki has a sign. As for all men who shall enter this tomb impure... There will be judgment. An end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. <laughs> I shall cast the fear of myself into him. So Kentika Ikekiki was like, you come in here. Yeah, I'm going to look down on you, but I'm also going to wring you, your neck like a chicken. And then I'm going to enter you with my <laughs> ghost fear. I don't know. I mean, this yeah. guy was like off the chain. No, yeah. And I think like... I, you know, I would need to do a little bit more research on this, but, but yes, like, Hey, that's a good plan to like put all these warnings out there for thieves to be like, Hey, don't come in my tomb and don't take my stuff. But also I would have no doubt that if they really did believe that there was this afterlife and Kentika w- was out there waiting for these thieves. Yeah. I'm going to come and hang your neck or crack your neck. Like, like a bird, mm-hmm. like I, it's going mm-hmm. to happen. Like, Cause they're going to do it. <laughs> but he's not messing around if like and and if I was, you know that meme and it's like the monkey puppet that's like looking side by side mm-hmm, he's nervous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if if I was the royal stenographer whoever that was writing down this curse as he was dictating it to me, I'd be like, "What the?" <laughs> I know. But interestingly enough, small tangent here, there are some modern tales of people being cursed after disturbing a mummy. After the specifically Mm -hmm. after the excavation of Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922, people died or suffered misfortune. 
I don't know yes, you- we talked about that a little bit on our podcast yeah. before. Um, six weeks after the financial backer of the excavation, Lord Carnarvon died of a mosquito bite. He accidentally cut the bite with a razor, resulting in blood poisoning. Weird. When archaeologists finally exhumed Tutankhamun, they saw an eerily similar scar on the same cheek as Lord Carnarvon. Double, Double weird. weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more recently, in the 1970s and 80s, a young archaeologist named Zahi Hawass had been working on a number of expeditions. This guy is like the real-life Indiana Jones and was no stranger to the Pharaoh's curse. In his early days, he was tasked with transferring two child mummies from Baharia Oasis. Hawa says that he uh, was haunted by the royal children until their coffins were reunited with the Pharaoh father in the museum. Ooh, and like of all the things to be haunted by, children you do not want to be. Oh, hell no. They're the worst, I feel. Because yes. they're like, you took my life away too early. Oh, yeah. And they're confused. They don't know what's happening. <laughs> That too. Uh, Yeah. Uh, To be honest, though, if you're stealing the jewels from a dead person, you are asking to get cursed. A hundred percent. Just don't steal from dead people in general because it's just disrespectful. I think if there's one thing we've learned on this podcast, it's don't steal from dead people. (laughs) Very true. Ancient Egyptian high priests really tried to stop the looting from happening. Sometimes they use the Valley of the Sun as a decoy burial site, too. Yes, and this did often work until it didn't. Case in point, the cache of tombs Ahmed found, renamed by archaeologists to site TT320. And it was in TT320 where archaeologists unearthed the coffin of unknown man E, the letter E. Who the heck was he, Elise? We're going to find out for dramatic effect right after a word from our sponsors. Jess, the sun is shining, the birds are chirping, and the spring air is oh so warm. And that means sweat and swampiness has come for us all. Oh, it it always (laughs) does. Thankfully, Lumi deodorant is here to keep us smelling nice when we need it most and where we need it most. Do you hear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking pits, privates, and beyond. PPB. (laughs) As we always say. Oh, that got me. Yes. (laughs) Because, you know, truly our underarms aren't the only place that we have odor. Yes, and Lumi has best-selling scents like lavender sage, clean tangerine, and fresh alpine. So you'll smell better than ever. And they also just launched a couple of new scents like mint cucumber and soft powder. Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. How? Because Lumi doesn't mask odor with a fragrance. It's actually formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. Consider it like a pre-odorant. Ooh, I love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jess, we got a bunch to try and I'm loving it. I do too. I love it. And yes, I'm putting it, you know, like we just talked about our pits, privates and beyond. And that beyond for me is actually like in the (laughs) summer. Let me tell you when I'm wearing shorts, you know, I get a little thigh rub. I'm actually I put the deodorant there and it actually works really well. Yes. And, and you know, a little bit of a fresh fragrance there. Absolutely. Those wipes, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, like I worked out or I did something sweaty and I just, I need to refresh, but I'm going to go like cook dinner or something. Yes. Or like hang out. Those wipes are the best. They are. Because you can just do like a quick boop, boop, boop. And then. Just, yeah. Hit the feeling- PPB yeah. and live <laughs> your life. Thanks to Lumi. <laughs> yes. Yes, and Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, 
cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like the mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for 30 Morbid Minutes listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code 30MM30MM at lumideodorant.com. That's over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code 30MM. 30 Morbid Minutes is sponsored by BetterHelp. Elise, do you ever feel like you take on too much stuff for other people? I am kind of a Christ-like figure, especially in your life. I would say <laughs> quite quite a savior to you. It's um, I mean, jokes aside, I'd say it's pretty easy to get swept up in in what everyone else is asking from you, everyone else's needs. Absolutely. I mean, me and you were very much people pleasers, mm-hmm. and that's that's a hard thing to break. But then I, you know, I also like have trouble taking a moment for myself and thinking about what you know. I need from from me. Yes. And learning to establish healthy boundaries is a whole process. And when you spend all your time giving, like we do, such generous givers, uh, <laughs> we can feel stretched out and, and burnt out just by all the demands. Yep. But therapy can give us tools to find more balance in our lives so we can keep supporting the people that we care about while also supporting ourselves. Yes. And there are so many broader benefits of therapy. Like if you need help just in your job or with your relationships, I know I've been there where just talking to someone else who's an impartial third party can give you so much perspective. It makes me feel like I have an outlet to vent to. It's it's really valuable. Absolutely. And especially because like you're saying, they're a third party. They don't know anybody else that's in your life. They don't, they're only hearing it from you and they're able to help you specifically deal with how you can figure out the conflict in your life. Or even as something as simple as, yeah, just like work stuff. It doesn't always have to be so deep and so intense all the time. It can just be like, I'm having trouble focusing at work, you know? Yeah. Give you the tools to work with that. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and fit into your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and they'll match you with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash 30mm30mm today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash 30mm. Back to the show. Unknown Man E is not my rapper name. Um, if that's E Breezy. Um, no. <laughs> Unknown Man E is the first of the Screaming Mummies we are talking about today, who, by the way, was not given a traditional royal Egyptian burial, which is pretty damning and indicative because this meant whoever prepared his burial rites was condemning him to hell in the afterlife. Mummification typically took 70 days for royals. Once the brain and internal organs were removed, the body was covered in salt from the Nile River and left to dry for weeks. Yes, and that process continued with covering the dehydrated body with oils and resins, then carefully wrapping every limb with linen wrappings. Uh, While they would do this, they would chant spells or say prayers. The wrappings included amulets and tiny figurines called shapti. The idea being that the Shabti would come alive and work as royal servants in the afterlife. Perfect loot for Tomb Raiders. Yeah, it reminds me of the Terracotta Army. Of him just making like all these terracotta soldiers that will fight for mm-hmm. you in the afterlife. This is very similar across cultures. But the, yeah, they also uh, kind of resemble little like toys from a children's birthday party. You get in the little gift bag. You get a little yeah. Shabti. Um, yeah. But no, unknown E-Man didn't have any of this pomp and circumstance with his burial. 
Nope, and we have some idea why. A recent DNA test confirms that unknown man E is more than likely Pentaur, the son of Fair Remesis III. Yeah, there are a lot of theories as to why Pentaur was not put to rest uh, as they would in traditional royal custom. He was put to rest with disgrace. Um, Mm. And it starts with the harem conspiracy. On the 15th day of month two of Shemu in 1155 BC, the beautiful feast of the valley was underway. This was a summer celebration of the dead, ironic given that it was the day conspirators chose to try and assassinate Ramses III, thinking that the festivities would serve as a good distraction. One of Ramses III's minor wives, Ty, was the main conspirator. She was the mother of Pentaware and wanted to see her son on the throne instead of the chosen successor, Ramses IV, who I think was Ramses III's brother. To pull off her plan, she enlisted the 20-year-old Pentaware to kill his own father. Ty knew that Ramesses III would be in his harem during celebration. The harem had tight security, so she bribed the overseer to send the guards away. While Ramesses III laid with his harem, Pentaur snuck in. So a CT scan of Ramesses III actually shows that his throat was cut all the way to the bone. The trachea and esophagus were completely severed, which would have made for a bloody and swift death. Pentaur's assassination of Ramsay III ended up being, well, successful, but his mother's plot to take the throne was not. Yep, they got got. <laughs> <laughs> they got real got, and the uh, their countrymen put them on trial. There's some speculation here, though, that Ramsay III may have actually survived the initial attack, because if you look at that judicial papyrus of Turin, which they have, it indicates that the trial was carried out in his name, which I guess would have shown that he would have been alive. Um, but in all likelihood, it was actually Ramses IV who ruled over his half-brother's trial. The queen's punishment is not recorded by Pentaur and was given the option to kill himself. Yes, yeah, suicide was considered a mercy in Egyptian court. 28 others involved in the conspiracy would also be executed and burned. And uh, this is key here. They spread their ashes through the streets of Thebes. Since Egyptians believed the body had to be whole in order to go into the afterlife, burning somebody and scattering their ashes was, to say the least, a big, big old diss. Big old diss. (laughs) (laughs) Which now we feel like, oh, you know, scattering your ashes, that's what an Mm -hmm. environmentally sound choice. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Though I do, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Jess, but I hate videos. It, it, It gets me to the core these montages where people are spreading their loved ones ashes, but there's like a strong wind and the ashes blow back in their face. Oh God. Yes, absolutely. Jeez. And, um, my, our, our, my coworker at Funhouse, Ryan, he goes to the, the ICP, the insane clown posse. Like they do this, this gathering of the jugglers every year. Mm -hmm. And I think their people will like spread their loved ones ashes in the crowds. And so I'm like, you've probably had somebody's ashes on you. Probably. Yeah. How does your coworker feel about this? Ah, he's just he just vibes with it. Mm. <laughs> you know, Ryan. Think I know who it is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's Ryan. Yep, it yeah. is him. Um, oh, there's still a lot of speculation about how Pentor chose to kill himself. Some think it was poison. Other scholars think he hanged himself. I'm gonna guess he was surfing down the pyramid like a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> Despite his merciful death, the royal court gave him the worst possible sentence in denying him a place in the afterlife. In addition to this, there's also other evidence suggesting the body of unknown man E is Pentor. 
Some scholars believe a relative quickly disposed of his body. The box was crudely made of cedar plank. Placing it in the royal tomb was likely an attempt at a proper burial. Yeah, the coffin also didn't have a name on it. And Egyptians believe that if your coffin was unmarked, you would not reach the afterlife. So this kind of ties in with his he was disgraced. So his, Mm -hmm. you know, disgraced coffin wouldn't have that. Yeah, and all of Pentuer's organs were left inside of him and not mummified. And as we know, the Egyptians removed organs and either put them into canopic jars or wrapped and reinserted into the body. Lastly, he was not wrapped in linens like the rest of the royals and servants. Instead, he was wrapped in sheepskin, a practice that was considered unclean. And of course, the face of unknown man E was twisted in a grotesque scream. How is it possible for the mummy to get stuck like that, though? Yeah. And remember, there were two screaming mummies found in this royal cache, and they share the similar physical trait, even though they died centuries apart. The second screaming mummy was once a woman known as Maritimum. She had her legs bent sideways, which is unusual. Mummies are usually laid to rest with their hands across their chest and their legs straight. I'm literally doing this right now. I'm like crossing <laughs> my hands against my chest. Why don't that wrong with me? <laughs> oh, oh, what if you are absorbing the soul of Maritimum? I know. I'm like, I'm really getting into this. Uh, Maritimum's neck was bent back and towards the right. Overall, her posture looks pretty wonky. You can check out the picture online. And of course, her mouth was wide open and she had a row of worn down teeth, but she still had her teeth. Hey, that's something. Yeah. There's one distinctive detail that makes scholars think that she was the daughter of Second Enre Tao II, the fact that her brain was not removed. Yeah. Second Enre Tao II was an Egyptian king who ruled over the 17th dynasty and had a prowess in battle that earned him the nickname The Brave. His brain was also not removed at the time of his mummification because brain removal started becoming common only during the 19th dynasty and onward. His coffin is said to be the one in the most worst condition out of all of those found in the royal cachet. And it, you know, smells too, because the embalming process was so hasty, his coffin had a foul, oily smell. And there's also an assumption that it's his daughter that's the second screaming mummy because there was a name written on her coffin. It said the royal daughter, the royal sister, Maritimun. But Mm. that name was common among princesses. So still kind of adding to this bit of uncertainty. So why was she found in the screaming position? Could be a combination of rigor mortis and body spasms, although not common. But it's a reasonable hypothesis for why the mummies would have their mouths open and gaping. But archaeologists thinks Maritimum died from a heart attack given the amount of plaque in her body. She likely died sitting with legs bent, then fell over and was found sometime later when rigor was still in effect. And if they tried to mummify her while she was in a rigor state, this would explain her bent legs and facial expression. As for Pentuer, he was probably dealt with right after killing himself. The court most likely would not have cared what happened to his body. Yes, probably like hastily mummified by a family member who acted at the 11th hour to give him just a crumb of honor, which explains why his mummification might have been so rushed and shoddy. Yeah, the bandages around the face and jaw were quite loose. This would allow the mouth to fall open and the head to fall back, resulting in that scream-like position. Anthropologist Andrew Wade of McMaster University, shout out, Ontario, said, (laughs) had the wrappings been tight around the jaw, it would typically have held the mouth closed. It is possible that the process of drying out the body reduced the thickness of the soft tissue, allowing for some slack. Mm. According to the 2009 article in the journal Archaeology, screaming mummies are not uncommon. There are a few cases of the dead's jaw slacking downward due to badly wrapped bandages. 
So in the case of these two screaming mummies, it's most likely that their wrappings failed them and then their brains, which were left in their skulls, caused their necks to tilt backward due to gravity, which is so fascinating to me because I never really think about that with mummies. The fact that like I didn't either. Yeah, they, yeah. they don't have their the weight of their brain <laughs> to like mm-hmm. tilt mm-hmm. them back on a fulcrum. This is not the only kind of screaming mummy that exists, though. The screaming mummies of Guanajuato, Mexico are equally as freaky, but that might be, you know, a mystery for a whole nother day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I always love new mystery. They are probably not cursed. Also, you know, a little bit of a relief there. It is pretty wild, though, that because of all this preservation, we are able to recreate the life and death of these pharaohs. It's truly fascinating. Yeah, mummies are a kind of of like their own time capsules and you can learn so much from their dead bodies. It's inc- have you been to like a, a museum and you see an actual mummy? Oh yes, and uh the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto always had a great Egypt display. I I was the kind of person that I'd be like I got to be line for Egypt. <laughs> no, for sure. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. And then the fact that like the technology we have today, we can go back even more. Yes. And um you know do these analyses and DNA testing and CT scanning. Have you ever seen the video of, (laughs) it always makes me laugh, but a bunch of scientists are like, we were able to examine a mummy's like vocal cords or or passages to try to recreate what a scream would sound like. Yes, I have. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I'm like, well, that sounds like, I've heard that sound before. And it's also, what? I, I don't know. It's 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 very interesting. Um, yeah. But they also were human beings. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think we forget that sometimes we can kind of like almost in a way objectify them and forget that like the mummy was a person. Absolutely. Uh, yes. But it's just fascinating to me that that scream video always gets me because I think that's my tax dollars at work. <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, it's, it really is fascinating. I mean, like archaeologists have verified that Ramesses III had his throat viciously cut and that Pentawar was, in fact, his assassin's son. It's, oh. it's so fascinating. Yes, that everyone can conte- contextually go back and look and f- discover these things or make these connections is so cool. Uh, it, I, it's one of these things where I like I wish I had the time to kind of watch and read more about Egypt. And I hope we cover it more. Yeah, I think if I could time travel and I had to pick, well, there's the dinosaur era too. But I would say ancient Egypt is a time where I just, I just want to sit back and watch them. How they, they were so smart for thousands, thousands of years ago. I just, they're fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, though I do when I think of Egypt more and more because I, you know, I guess the main frame of reference for me is Tutankhamun and mm-hmm. him having like being inbred and then having a bunch of health problems and a vitamin deficiency. And I'm like, would I have survived in ancient Egypt? I wouldn't. No, I personally would not want to live. I just want to go back and watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, the inbred. I saw this one documentary about how they. Um, uh, I, I should just like give a like, hey. Here's a list of documentaries that you can watch to yeah. further explore ancient Egypt because um, they definitely go into depth on the inbred situation back then. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, because you got to keep that royal bloodline pure. You, yep, you do. And that and the, Egypt's weren't the old, Egyptians weren't the only ones that did that. There's other cultures that yes. have partaked in that, <laughs> and it still happens today in different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, off track. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I hope we we mine this well more for Egypt and also 
Uh, just want to shout out our writer, Shannon Sassone, who uh, covered this episode for us and has been taking on episodes for us this season. Thank you, Shannon. You're awesome. Doing great. And uh, yeah, this, uh, gosh, I want Devin. I Can you ask Devin Jess to give us his like top five Egypt facts? Oh, f- for sure. Oh, top five Egypt facts? Okay. Yeah. That's, it's so funny because we're talking wedding stuff and I was just like, where do you want to go on our honeymoon? He's like, Egypt. I'm like, yeah, I want to go to Egypt too. But I also, you know, want to just like lay and do nothing for yeah. about a week for my honeymoon. <laughs> Whereas Egypt, I want to like look at everything. I want to touch and lick the pyramids. I want to, you know, just really get in there. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to see you in handcuffs on TV. <laughs> Basically. No. Um, newly married woman licks pyramid arrested <laughs> by local authorities. Dumb American woman. Let's add that (laughs) there too, you know. Oh, well, um, next week on the show, we are covering the Mandela effect, I believe, which you might, yeah, you might be wondering, like, how is this morbid? And (laughs) is this just an excuse for Jess to talk about The Matrix? No. (laughs) Maybe. Which is a fantastic movie. (laughs) I guess we'll find out. Until then, bad bye, Jessica. Bad bye, Elise.